Football is back, and Domino's Hawaii couldn't be more excited. Our community has been through a lot this year, and so to show our appreciation for all your efforts and sacrifice, we'd like to do our part in helping you enjoy the games by offering large specialty pizzas for $15.99 and our new buffalo wings for $5.99. Just log on to the Domino's Hawaii website or app, and remember, while you watch your favorite team, you can be assured that our team continues to make your health and safety a top priority. Hey, what's up, Jordan? We're at it again, and this is episode number 50 of our podcast. That's right, 5-0, 50th state. It carries some significance. We've made it to 50. We're halfway to 100. Miracles do happen. <laughs> when, did, when, did, when did this happen? It's, it seems like we were, we were just starting with Mark, Mark Rolfing yesterday. And, That's right. Uh, yeah, we're almost at the end of the year. This is crazy. Yeah, uh, it has been a crazy, crazy year, and I don't think anybody's going to be too sad to see the calendar turn the page to 2021. Uh, but that said, very stoked that we've been able to do this podcast for as long as we have, definitely. And we always start every episode off the same way, uh, at least under normal circumstances with our warm-up, our little uh, pre-game topic, just to kind of moisten the palate, if you will. Uh, and we have a big story actually coming out of major league baseball this week the cleveland baseball team is dropping the indians nickname and i don't think they are looking to make a new nickname change anytime in the immediate future we may go a season kind of like the washington football team situation before that decision is ultimately made but hey uh, for all intents and purposes that means that every option is on the table jordan what would be your pick for what the Cleveland baseball team should rename itself. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of names thrown out there, right? You, you tie into Cleveland history and things like that. I really like the Spiders. They were, that was the name of one of the Cleveland Major League teams early on um, in their existence, kind of right at the turn of the century, late 1890s, up until like 1901 or something like that, as they went through different iterations, eventually the Indians in 1915. Uh, but I just really like the Spiders. I, I think it's a cool name. It's very unique for professional sports, of course, less so on the collegiate realm, right? The University of Richmond um, there in Virginia are known as the Spiders. So, yeah, I, I kind of like the Spiders. I kind of wanted to tie in like a Negro Leagues name or something like that. But there's not a lot of Cleveland, Ohio names that sort of stand out um, from the Negro Leagues era, kind of like the Birmingham Barons or the Kansas City Monarchs that I think are iconic uh, but file that Monarchs name away for uh, when the Chiefs end up changing their name. I think they might be able to work a little something out there. Yeah, I'm with you on Spiders. I love the history of it. Uh, have you ever seen that logo? Like even the old school logo that they use like back in the last, you know, few years of the 1800s. It was an awesome logo. Like it, it actually is very cool and would still be considered pretty cool to this day. I think they'd probably be able to revamp it or something. So I'm a fan of the Spiders. Another nickname that I thought might work because you have the presence of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame over there uh, in Cleveland would be the Cleveland Rockers, especially if, if they hit the ball well. That would be a, a very apropos nickname. But yeah, I think I'm with you. If I had to pick my, my A number one pole position option, I think I'd go Cleveland Spiders. All right, with that, we welcome you to another episode of the show. That's right, 50. This show is 
50 episodes old, uh, and we're very uh, excited to talk with our guest here for today. Coming up in the main portion of the episode, we'll be talking with University of Hawaii linebacker Darius Muasau. Uh, the guy's just been a beast here in just his sophomore season. First team all Mountain West selection that was made official earlier this week. He's averaging a nation's best 7.9 solo tackles per game. Just absurd. Had a career high 18 tackles versus UNLV. Mililani product is obviously very much the real deal. It really is. Uh, this being his like first sophomore season, right? Because none of this sort of counts in terms of eligibility, but he is making a name for himself and. The first team honor, I think, is, is well-deserved. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. This guy is everywhere, every play. He's right in the middle of 53 years for, for the University of Hawaii. Yeah, it's been fun to watch and uh, fun talking with him as well. So we'll play that interview in just a little bit. But first, it's game time. And the University of Hawaii football team, much to our surprise, still has a chance at a winning season. Remember we lamented on our last week's episode of the podcast that they didn't have a mathematical chance for a winning record because they were 3-4 and four with one game remaining? Well, following its regular season ending 38-21 victory over UNLV, Hawaii learned over the weekend that it had been invited to participate in the New Mexico Bowl, which of course, being that it's 2020, will be held in Frisco, Texas, on Christmas Eve, though, harkens to the Hawaii Bowl days. Of course, the Hawaii Bowl canceled for this year because of the pandemic. UH will play another UH in that bowl, University of Houston, in a rematch of the 2003 Hawaii Bowl, which ended in a dramatic 54-48 triple overtime win for the Warriors. Oh, and a benches-clearing brawl uh, with the Hawaii Bowl called off this year. What do you think of 4-4 four and four Hawaii going bowling on the continent? Leave it to 2020. Like the University of Hawaii, historically, right, doesn't go to mainland bowl games. It's what only happened twice in the program's history. And those were in like landmark watershed seasons, the Sugar Bowl in 2007, well, technically New Year's Day 2008, and then the, the 92 Holiday Bowl team. This, this team isn't those teams. There's nothing against the 2020 squad. Uh, but, it, you know, to be the third team ever to go ahead and play a mainland bowl game is it, saying something. And I thought there was no chance. I really thought there was no chance. You know, I talk story with people around, and it's like, hey, you think they might get to a bowl game? Like, well, the Hawaii Bowl is canceled. Half of the other bowl games seem to be canceled. They already had one this weekend that was supposed to take place that has been, you know, a team had to pull out. So, you know, fingers crossed that they actually get to this point. Uh, Hawaii has had, you know, knock on wood, the best scheduling luck of really anybody in the country with completing their actual original, well, modified schedule whereas Houston has had some pretty bad luck and has had multiple games canceled rescheduled postponed all of the above so you just hope that they're actually going to get a chance to play but I think it's a really good opportunity obviously to get more practices and another game in under this new scheme for coach Todd Graham uh, and he's a guy with a lot of ties to Texas and has already made some inroads in recruiting Texas whether it has been via division one transfers whether it's been junior college guys and now obviously looking to recruit some of the high school ranks. I think it's a kind of a nice way to maybe drop anchor in sort of that part of the country uh, for, for a coach in Todd Graham and a coaching staff that, that has roots in that area and maybe can result in some, some solid recruits down the line for this Rainbow Warrior program. Yeah, you talk about Hawaii being the beneficiary of a you know, good fortune with regard to the schedule. Uh, this is another instance of it. Because of the late schedule applied by the Mountain West Conference as well as other conferences who are a little on the later side to the college football playing party, the Mountain West Championship game is scheduled for Saturday, the 19th. 
And so because it is so close to the scheduled date of the New Mexico Bowl, it wasn't realistic for one of those two teams to represent the Mountain West in that bowl game. And so Hawaii, the beneficiary of basically being the team that's available to a large degree. But I think a 4-4 four and four record, at least finishing 500, uh, even though there weren't any you know, minimal wins required for bowl eligibility this year because it's such a unique year. Uh, I think that the officials around the game uh, can at least look at that and say, hey, look, they're four and four. It's, it's justifiable to put him in there. Uh, ironically, Houston is three and four, but they had a bunch of their games early on in the season that were canceled because of COVID. Two of their uh, losses came to nationally ranked opponents in Cincinnati and BYU. Uh, and so it makes, I think, for a pretty cool matchup. UH versus UH. Uh, why not? In this 2020 year on the continent, uh, why not have the New Mexico Bowl in Frisco, Texas? And by the way, we uh, recalled that 2003 Hawaii-Houston matchup that ended in the brawl. It also led to maybe my favorite sports headline ever, and that was in the Honolulu Star Bulletin. And because it was played around Christmas, remember, and the headline was Melee Kalikimaka, M-E-L-E-E. Kaliki Mako. Well done. Well done. It doesn't get better than that. Whoever was the the headline writer there in the in the edit room at the old Star Bulletin, they deserve a race. I, I don't think I'll ever forget it. it it's uh, definitely up there with the all-timers on the very short list of legendary headlines. So yeah, whoever came up with that deserves some recognition. And how about that for a segue? Because speaking of recognition, several University of Hawaii Rainbow Warrior players earned some wreck from the all Mountain West Conference teams. You had Darius Muasau, who we'll talk to in a little bit. We mentioned first team honors, offensive playmaker Calvin Turner and cornerback Cortez Davis made the second team. And then you had quarterback Shevin Cordero, wide receiver Jared Smart, defensive lineman Blessman Ta'ala, and defensive back Quentin Frazier receiving honorable mention. Uh, those sound about right to you as far as the placement of those guys and the guys included on the list? Yeah, I, I think so. I think the only gripe I guess you could say I mean Calvin Turner is a first team talent no doubt about it you know I don't know if it's just because he didn't have a, a a set position right so maybe he gets overlooked because he isn't the best running back in the conference maybe he gets overlooked because he doesn't have the most receptions in the conference uh, usually you have one of those flex type athlete guys on these all-star award recognition teams and it is a deep running back conference I think this year we saw a lot of good backs He's, he deserves to be on the first team in some form or fashion. I, was it a lack of touches, maybe late in the season, kind of tailed off? I don't know. I, I really don't know. But we got to see, you know, seven opponents in the Mountain West Conference, and that guy was arguably the best player on the field pretty much any time Hawaii suited up uh, against basically everybody on their schedule. I and mean, we saw that from the get-go in that Fresno State game. Uh, his versatility is amazing in the return game as well. I, I just think that he is a, a, a pro-type talent and a guy that, you know, I, I guess we can go down the list. You got to remove somebody off the first team, but I don't know, man, Where, whether you, wherever you put him, he's, he is one heck of a player. Yeah, I mean, there are so many parallels, right? He wears number seven. He kind of makes plays similar to what you saw from Devon Best back in the day. Uh, just what a find this guy is and, and, and what an absolute weapon he is. Just one of those players, perhaps infrequent at times during stretches of this program's history, one of those players you can point to and say, he could play anywhere. Like he could play probably yeah. for any team and get 
time on the field, receive snaps. Uh, he's that good. Uh, what I love about the Darius Musal story is, you know, we talk about tradition at this program. You know, a lot of blue chippers who maybe come out of Hawaii and, and it, it, certainly in the modern day uh, era are looking to programs on the continent, right? Higher profile programs, power five conference programs. And so oftentimes it's up to the Hawaii coaching staffs, whoever they may be, those regimes in place to try to find that diamond in the rough type of local recruit, sort of that next tier of guys who aren't quite as widely recruited, but certainly can play the game. And Darius Muasau is that guy, man. Uh, he is just proving to be, especially in this system, uh, that just seems to take advantage of his talents, of his, his anticipatory skills, of his ability to cover ground, close space, make sound tackles in the open field. Like, I just love seeing that development. I just love seeing that particularly from a local guy who maybe wasn't the highest rated dude coming out of high school, wasn't the most widely recruited guy, uh, and proving that he deserves every bit of being a Division One college football player. It, without a doubt, right? And carrying on that lineage of sort of the, the unheralded local recruit doing it at UH, but also, right? I mean, the University of Hawaii middle linebacker throughout the years. I mean, you go back to Jelani Tavai and, you know, you go back all the way to Pisatinoi Samoa and Solomon Elamimian and Jeff Ulbrich and all these guys. And, and that's the interesting thing about Darius, right? I think is Coach Graham being the defensive mind that he is and working with his defensive coordinator, Victor Santa Cruz, uh, I mean, they, just watching it, they they build that defense around him. They move him around, and we get into it a little bit in our conversation, uh, you know, line him up on the end of the line of scrimmage, line him up at middle linebacker at Mike, play him on the weak side. I mean, he, they play him all over because he's their best defensive player, and I think it makes all the sense in the world. If you got a guy with that kind of talent, yeah, build your defense around him and let him go make plays. And um, he's he's been their best guy, and as we talked about, the numbers are just kind of mind-blowing. And, and to think that he was – kind of an afterthought in a lot of these recruit recruiting uh you know rankings and then when he when he ended up finding his way to the University of Hawaii under Nick Rolovich that, that, that now he's a I think a slam dunk first team guy in conference yeah and you wonder if that adds to it right and we actually asked Darius like what his motivation is because uh, it seems as though for some of these guys maybe that's part of the chip on their shoulder that they weren't as heavily recruited and I think that adds maybe to the and he'll talk about it a little bit the pride uh, that these players then take in wearing the University of Hawaii uniform specifically. So it's a great story, and it would be awesome for these guys to be able to finish this very unique and strange 2020 season on a winning note in the New Mexico Bowl. All right, speaking of local guys playing college football, a new home for Mackenzie Milton, the Mililani alum, who quarterbacked UCF to an undefeated season in 2017 before suffering a devastating leg injury that has kept him off the field basically for two years, announced he would be transferring to Florida State. He will play for head coach Mike Norvell, who coached against Milton, interestingly enough, multiple times while he was at Memphis, including in the American Conference title game in 2017 when Milton threw for almost 500 yards and five touchdowns. So obviously he left an imprint. He left Mike Norvell with a feeling of, this guy can, this guy can play the quarterback position and now he's going to play for him. How do you like the fit, though, for Mackenzie Milton? Florida State currently has three scholarship QBs who all saw time as starters this season. So what do you think? How does uh, Mackenzie fit in? Uh, he, he likes Northern Florida, right? He goes from Orlando to Tallahassee. You figured it was going to be a power five jump for him to, to be leaving. And, and what a 
package that UCF put together, right? That like 10 minute long video that basically just made everybody cry with chicken skin, uh, basically saying Aloha and, you know, thanks to, to McKenzie for his time and talking about passing on the torch to Dylan Gabriel, man. So you figured it was going to be a power five jump. It, I was curious as to where it was going to be because you, you figured he had a place in mind where he felt pretty good about getting a chance to play, right? You're not going to go into a place where, hey, you know, they're stacked four deep at quarterback and all of a sudden you got to go beat out all those guys. It just makes sense, right? It's a, it's a business decision in a lot of ways as he tries to prove that he's healthy enough and, and still got the skills to maybe get a shot to play professional football. It makes a lot of sense. Mike Norvell has put together a lot of really good offense, including when he was the offensive coordinator for Todd Graham uh, during a couple of their stops, including Arizona State. So some ties there to the islands as well. That's an offense that I think has shown some signs of what we saw at Memphis and elsewhere under Norvell. uh, You know, I mean, they've they've already got a transfer guy at quarterback and James, uh, excuse me, Jordan Travis, who spent some time at Louisville, James Blackman, who's got a lot of time. He announced last month that he's transferring. So that quarterback position is really unsure, I, I think, for the Seminoles in Tallahassee. So I, I honestly, if, if Mackenzie Milton is healthy and, and obviously he's been clear, right? If, if he is healthy, he's the best quarterback they're going to have on that roster. I don't know what their recruiting class looks like coming in or who else may transfer in, but just based on the guys that are already there, I mean, he's the best dude. And so then it becomes, Hey, are the skills still sharp after not playing game action in a number of years? Obviously the leg injury, there's no way to know until he gets out there, right? It's going to be an Alex Smith type situation where everybody's going to be holding their breath. But he wants to do it, and he feels like he can. And who are we to tell him that he can't? So it's a program in Florida State that, that wants to return to glory, and it's a chance for McKenzie to be that guy, right, sort of what he was for UCF, building them into the program that they are. If he can do that at Florida State and put them in relevancy in the ACC in a conference that's very top-heavy and the rest of it is it's okay, right? I mean, we're talking about Clemson and Notre Dame's not going to be in the conference next year and, and maybe Miami and whatnot. So it's not like it's the SEC or anything like that. So. I mean, I think it's a decent shot for him to go out there and and prove everybody that he's still got it. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, he just seems to strike the right chords, right? I mean, everyone felt for him. He was an amazing quarterback, amazing performer. You you just hope that he can reestablish himself as an effective quarterback post that traumatic injury. And and what will he be physically? We kind of have yet to see, right? There are uh, reports that that he can play again, that he's that he's you know a guy that that can go out there and, and make the throws, but we just don't know. We haven't seen it, certainly not in a game situation. Uh, but just he, he hits all the right chords. Uh, the fact that he was so willing to be honest with himself and those around him and say, hey, look, um, my time here at UCF has passed. This is now Dylan Gabriel's team. And Dylan, a fellow Mililani alum, I mean, that relationship, you know, obviously it, it had to have some strength for there not to be more bitterness or animosity between two guys who I'm, I'm sure both want to be starting quarterbacks and, and with Milton having created such a reputation for himself at that specific program. So uh, just the, there was a lot of class there, I think in, in how he handled uh, that situation and, and how he departed from UCF. Uh, and so, yeah, I think he goes to Florida state. It's at least a, a name program. It's in a power five conference uh, and he's going to get an opportunity to prove himself uh, once more. All right, we we'll switch over to a little bit of hoops. UH basketball tipped off this past week. The Hawaii men's and women's basketball teams played non-conference games versus Hawaii Pacific. And after a somewhat lackluster opening half, the Rainbow Warriors kicked it into gear after halftime to take down the Sharks 83-50. Mate Cholina went for career highs, 17 points and six rebounds. And newcomer James Jean Marie went for a double-double in his UH debut, 21 and 11. Meanwhile, the women's result definitely made some waves. 
Hawaii Pacific defeated the Rainbow Wahine 82-74. It's the first ever loss for Hawaii against one of the local D2 programs. They're now 26-1. and Amy Baum and Olivia West for HPU were unreal. Baum went for 28, West went for 22. They combined for 50 shark points. So uh, what gets the headline from this return of hoops to the islands the past weekend? Oh, it's the HPU women for sure. That, that, that team is good. And we knew a little bit about them last year, right? The, the magical run that just one loss in the regular season, they were scheduled to host the NCAA division two regional in Honolulu. And then everything happened, right? Everything happened. And, and we got a chance to, to talk to their head coach, Reed Takatsuka kind of right afterward. And you could tell, right? They, they felt like, man, this, this was an opportunity for that team to, to go and make some magic and, and they bring back a lot. And that, Amy Ball is, is really good at basketball, you know, and it, all American and arguably the best player on that court. I mean, no matter what uniform a player was wearing and, and she showed it and, and they play such a fun brand of basketball. They get up and down, they shoot a ton of threes. They take a ton of shots, period. They don't go very deep. And so everybody on the court can play uh, and they, they kind of, for a team that had two of their best players fall out, I thought they were the ones that kind of wore down the Rainbow Wahine. And, and so, you know, I, obviously some of the headline is going to be, a, you know, UH loses for the first time to one of the local D2 schools. But to me, it's, it's a whole lot more about HPU and, and, and how good that team is. And you hope they get an opportunity this year, right? Who knows exactly what the Pac West is going to look like, what the NCAA tournament at the Division Two is going to look like. But that is a really, really good basketball team. And, and I, I'm kind of bummed I don't get to see them more <laughs> throughout the season, right? I mean, that was the televised game on Spectrum against the University of Hawaii. But yeah, I'm going to have to tune into some of these, these uh, HPU live streams or something uh, once the season gets rolling around. But that, that is a, that's a fun basketball team and, and a pretty, pretty uh, easy one, I think, to get behind. Yeah, that was one of the biggest regrets, right, of sports having to succumb to the pressures of the pandemic and shutting down. It came at a time when HPU was about to host the NCAA Division II West Regional, which is like unheard of for a Hawaii team to host an entire regional like that. And so they had legitimate national championship hopes. And I think you saw that play out. It, it just sort of proves the mantra, right, of, you know, good basketball is good basketball. If it's executed and played well and played effectively and played with, with grit and emotion, it doesn't matter what level. You're going to be able to compete with just about anybody. And HPU proves that. I think what you saw as well is this is a team that has brought a lot of its nucleus from that very talented team that went 29-1 and last year back. And so they were just a little bit more experienced. There certainly was more of a continuity in their chemistry as opposed to Hawaii trying to blend in nine newcomers uh, and Laura Beeman not necessarily having any rotations locked down at this very early stage of the season and trying a lot of different things uh, early. But uh, yeah, I think you saw that. It was, this is a more experienced HPU team and they're just legitimately good. And there's a lot of respect between those two programs. Laura Beeman is the first to tell you that uh, that HPU team uh, is is no joke. It is a well-earned victory and well-earned acknowledgement and achievement for 
Hawaii Pacific University. I do think that the Rainbow Wahine have some foundational pieces to build on. Deja Phillips was great as a freshman in her very first collegiate experience. Uh, she showed a lot in terms of her athleticism. Uh, Amy Atwell, the senior shooter, you thought she would be one of the leading scorers for this team for sure. 21 points out the gate. So I think they got a few things going in their favor as well. Uh, we'll see how it plays uh, forward. Uh, they're going to be taking on Hawaii Hilo uh, in another non-conference game coming up this Sunday. Now on the men's side, yeah, I think there are a lot of uh, pieces there. I think there's some potential. Junior Madut is a guy who the coaching staff says is the real deal. Both ends of the floor can guard all three levels. A great finisher. We didn't see much of that. Seemed to be pressing. You know, there's a guy that's waited a long time to get out there. He was a mid-year transfer last year and they were considering perhaps putting him out there uh, to join the team, but instead they wanted to hang on to his eligibility. And so he was chomping at the bit. I think you saw some of that, uh, maybe forcing some shots in, in situations where perhaps uh, as the season goes on, he'll think otherwise. Uh, but yeah, some foundational pieces, I think, on the men's side uh, as well to build on. Uh, it was good to see some basketball back in Manoa for sure. It really was. And that was the thing with the men, I thought, you know, Slow start in the first half. I think it's understandable. They started like actually practicing what a week before the first game in terms of full five on five full court stuff. So that was that was to be expected. They they caught fire. That was six of ten in the second half. I really like Madu. I, I think you, you that was the thing I was looking for in that game. It's like all right, who looks like a who looks like a dude? Who looks like a guy who's gonna go out there and be a a big time you know college basketball player at the Big West level? And it's like okay, Madu looks the part. The other guy I really liked was James Jean Marie. His physical makeup looks like a guy who can really do some work. And obviously he's, he's got experience being the San Diego transfer and, and we'll see if, you know, McClanahan, maybe if he gets the, the ankle fully healthy, what he can bring to that group. But um, you know, I, I, those two guys really stood out to me as, as guys who looked, who looked the part, who looked like, okay, those, those guys can play. Yeah, another guy I like is Bawali Bales, uh, who's another guy mm -hmm. competing at the point guard position. Noel Coleman, another San Diego transfer, got the start, but uh, Bales got some minutes, and uh, there's just a, a bulldoggedness to his style of play. And, you know, he is from Australia. He is of Aboriginal descent, and so there have been some automatic parallels that have been drawn, at least in terms of his path uh, to – Patty Mills. Artie Wilson kind of bristled when I mentioned that. I mean, I don't think anyone's comparing him to Patty Mills now, you know, the established NBA standout. Uh, but I think there have been certainly in terms of his um, international and youth basketball playing experience, there are some similarities there as far as his journey to this point. And I'm excited to see his development. All right, we switch gears, and unfortunately, the reign is over for Alimele McFarland, the previously unbeaten Bellator women's flyweight champion from Hawaii, lost her belt at last week's Bellator 254 event in Connecticut, getting defeated by another undefeated fighter, Juliana Velasquez, via unanimous decision. Alimele was, as expected, incredibly gracious in defeat. Did Alimele, though, in that fight simply lose to a better fighter? Because Juliana Velasquez, my goodness, she was a beast. She really, I thought so, you know, and, and it's tough to get ready for that. You know, that she, the last few times that Eli Malay has fought has either been, you know, the two Bellator Hawaii cards or the, the one sandwiched in between the title defense was in San Jose, which obviously came with a lot of local fans there in, in the South Bay. And so she's fought in front of a lot of friendly crowds over the course of this title run for her in Bellator. And, and obviously in, in Connecticut, there's nobody there, right? <laughs> there's the commentators and the staff and, and the fighters. And so it was a very neutral sort of sterilized environment. And you were going to see, 
you know, kind of just who, who was better on the night. And, and I thought Velasquez was better. She was bigger. She was stronger. She was the better striker. Uh, kind of wore Eli Malay down through, throughout that fight. Never really allowed McFarland a chance to, to execute her ground game, which has always been her strength. And, mm-hmm. and Eli Malay's strikes never really did much damage. I think that's something that, you know, she, she's talked about it, that, that she'll look to, to really improve if she's going to climb back to the top and, and regain the belt. But, yeah, on that night, I mean, Velasquez was just simply, simply better. I think, you know, a couple of the judges had it. 48-47, 3-2 on the rounds, basically. But that even that's, I think, indicating it being a little closer than, than what we saw in the cage. So, yeah, she, she, she is class personified. The Malay really is and is as gracious a champ as you will ever find. And, and I think, you know, obviously very graciously kind of handed over the belt. But I mean, I'm excited to see what, what kind of happens next for her. Because, you know, what, where does this sort of lead? You know, what kind of opportunities are also out there for Bella? She's a big star for them, no doubt. And obviously, they chose her to headline one of these big CBS Sports Network cards, not on the pay-per-view or anything like that, as they've got this new contract. So uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what, what 2021 has in store and, and if we'll see her maybe in a little more regular schedule. Yeah, because, again, going back to the comments where she talked about almost a sense of relief, uh, not having to be the champion and the stresses and anxiety that comes along with it. Maybe this is an opportunity for her to take inventory and just kind of contemplate where she's at. She's accomplished so much in a very brief amount of time in her mixed martial arts career. Uh, And so, yeah, maybe this is a good time for her to... Uh, try to replenish herself a little bit, maybe charge up the battery, uh, take inventory, and and, and kind of see where she's at. All right, time to move on to our Domino's Hawaii main topping, and it is our conversation with Darius Muasau, linebacker for the University of Hawaii, just named the first team All-Mountain West selection. The humility comes through, and certainly his passion for the game comes through, as you will hear. So let's play that interview with Darius. All right, Darius, first team All-Mountain West honors. That is uh, not something that is frequently attained by University of Hawaii players, certainly University of Hawaii linebackers. Uh, how did that strike you to hear that news this week? Uh, waking up to that text was just, it was an amazing feeling. You know, I just got a, I woke up to a, a bunch of text messages from my family members, my mom, my dad, aunties, uncles, uh, aunties, uncles from the States, you know, just saying, oh, congratulations on uh, receiving this honor of uh, First Team Mountain West. And I was like, what? I was tripping out, just waking up and just seeing that it really means a lot to me. You know, I, I take a lot of passion in this sport, and I don't take it lightly that I receive this honor. And it really, boys can't describe how I feel right now. Yeah, I mean, have you, you know, when you're in the middle of all of this, especially such a unique season like this, I imagine that it's uh... – it's hard for you to sort of take a step back and, and appreciate maybe what has happened. But, I mean, when you look at your numbers, your tops in the nation in solo tackles per game, uh, you're coming off of a game in which you just lit up the stat sheet. Um, have you had an opportunity at all to kind of think like, wow, as a sophomore, to be able to accomplish what I'm accomplishing, this is, this is pretty remarkable. Uh, I don't really think about uh, all that stats and stuff just coming every week. You know, I just look forward to a uh, just working hard every week, being uh, just being there for my team, just working hard for my team and just doing whatever I can to uh, for my team to just get the win at the end of the day. That's I imagine that's that why the coaching staff is so high on you because you have that uh, everyday approach for sure. What is it about this defensive scheme, you think, uh, that has afforded you the chance to be the playmaker on, on that side of the ball that you've been? 
I just feel that this this defense is a lot more dynamic. You know, I'm not just playing Mike linebacker. There's some uh, different uh, formations or defenses that I'm on the edge blitzing the passer or uh, they got uh, we're sending pressure a bunch of the times, you know, coming off the edge or blitzing up the, the A gaps and B gaps. So I just feel that this defense is just made for me. You know, I just feel a lot more comfortable playing in this defense. Yeah, it kind of allows you to be the, the playmaker that you are. Do you have a, a, a favorite alignment out there? I mean, do you, do you enjoy being in the middle a bit more? Do you enjoy coming off the edge? What, what's kind of your favorite in this scheme? I like uh, being a middle linebacker, you know, just being in the middle of the defense, being able to see the whole field, you know, just visualize everything that's going around me. I have a good look on the ball, where it's going, when it's going to be passed, where the ball is being ran, you know, I just like being in the middle of the field, just being being able to uh, make plays on the ball. Yeah, and for all you guys, it's, it's new, right? It's a, it's a new scheme, new coaching staff. How difficult was it, uh, you know, not being able to get all the practices in? I mean, it's less physical at practice just because of the distancing and have spring ball for, I'm sure, a defensive guy, you know, not being able to have that contact in practice is, isn't the easiest. So so how difficult was it kind of getting your guys ready uh, to play and, and for you to perform at the level that you've been performing at? Yeah, it was actually difficult uh, just being able to adjust to times like this. You know, it's unpredictable times like this. You can't really do anything about it. But uh, just practices was a lot uh, less physical, like you said, you know, with the social distancing. It was less uh, like inside run drills. You weren't able to go like head up. Uh, and for a defensive player, you know, that's your dream. You know, you play defense because you love the physicality of the game. But um, I just felt that our coaches did a great job of just adjusting to time to the uh, this time, you know, this COVID situation. Uh, we got into the meeting room as much as we could, uh, maximize our time on the field, and just you know, they game plan the heck out of every team. You know, they spent a lot of hours in the up in the offices, and they just really set out the plan for us every week, and we just follow their 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 paths that they led for us. You know, Coach Santa Cruz has talked repeatedly about war dogs and sort of what that is uh, within this scheme and within this program. Uh, in your opinion or, or what your understanding of it is, what is a war dog and how does it apply to what you guys do on defense? A war dog. You know, coaches are always talking about this war dog defense. Uh, a war dog is pretty much a player that does whatever, whenever, however, to get the ball back or to pretty much stop the defender and get them on the ground. And I feel like we got a bunch of war dogs on our defense. And I really like that term war dog. It's a really unique name. Never heard of it before, but I'm just proud to be a part of this war dog defense. Yeah, you definitely uh, would, would, would fit into the mold, I think, of what Coach Santa Cruz describes as, as a war dog. Um, what is your motivation as far as your approach to the game? Uh, it seems as though you play with just a certain passion, a reckless abandon, um, you know, is, is there any kind of chip on your shoulder or anything that, that sort of further motivates you? Like, where do you extract uh, that desire from? Uh, I, my motivation is my parents, my family. My, my parents sacrificed a lot. You know, my dad served in the military. My mom, uh, he had to, my mom had to raise six boys, me and my five brothers. So they really sacrificed a lot. And I feel like my way to give back to them is this game, you know, the way I play this game. 
I just grew up to really love this game. They put me in the sport at, uh, in third grade, and I just really developed a, a real passion for the game. And it's like one of the things that, that I think I do well, I perform well in, and I feel like I'm making my parents proud right now. And I think, you know, that, that kind of translates over to, to everybody at home, right, in Hawaii, who got to watch you kind of grow up at Midlani and, and do what you did there and, and now playing for the University of Hawaii. Is there a sense of pride being able to do this sort of for the hometown school, getting able to stay home and, and do what you're doing? Yes, there's a lot of pride taking in. Uh, just me being to represent Hawaii across my, my chest, you know, and my last name in the back. But uh, just it really means a lot to me. Uh, and, and I'm not just speaking for myself. I'm speaking for guys like Chevin Cordero, you know, Kuali Nishigaya. Got guys like Kai Kaneshiro, all the St. Louis boys. It really does mean a lot to us. Like, when you decide to stay home, it just, wow, like, you get to play for the University of Hawaii, your hometown. And everywhere you go, you're just carrying the Hawaii across your chest no matter what. Yeah, and... There's talent everywhere, right, in the state. You guys know that better than anybody. Um, is there, do, you, do you get a sense that, that, that maybe, you know, uh, some of the guys coming up are, are, are maybe a little more uh, inclined to take a look at the University of Hawaii, maybe wanting to stay home, seeing what you're doing on the defensive side of the football, which you mentioned with guys like Shevin on the offensive side of the football. Uh, do you think there, there's a chance that you guys could be sort of laying the groundwork for, for more local boys to stay home? Yeah, I feel like uh... – We've been laying the foundation for uh, local boys to stay home. You know, we um, just hope that like all the local boys just want to stay home and just represent uh, Hawaii with us. You know, well, of course, you know, they everyone's getting uh, when they get looks from other schools, looking into other schools. But we just hope that uh, they just take a look into staying home and hopefully represent Hawaii and defend Pride Rock with us. You know, you not only got some great news this week about the individual achievement and honor of being an all Mountain West first teamer, but you guys also got uh, maybe a bit of surprise news this past weekend because uh, the season's not over. You guys are going to play in a mainland bowl game, just the third time in the program's history that uh, they will participate in a bowl game on the continent. Uh, of course, the New Mexico Bowl in Texas, go figure, 2020. Uh, but how did that news strike you and, and how thankful are you that the season's not pow yet? I was actually really thankful when I heard the news from uh, from my coaches, and it was actually it actually happened during our picture taking a couple of days ago. Uh, we were taking our last snap, and then uh, they announced that we they they said bowl game, and I was like, what the? Wow! I was just I was just so thankful. I, I don't know how to feel. I was like, wow! It's another game, you know, another game to just showcase everyone's talent and uh, just put Hawaii on the map. And hopefully, just uh, perform against uh, this tough Houston Houston team. Yeah, UH versus UH in that uh, New Mexico Bowl. That'll be kind of fun to watch for sure. Um, when you talk about putting this program on display, how would you describe uh, the efforts of this defensive unit this season? It, it had its ups and downs, certainly. Uh, it seemed to be susceptible at times to the run. Uh, but it was also at times a, a bend and not break type of, of defensive unit as well. How would you describe the performance of the defense to this point? Yeah, like you said, like we had a, a bend, not break kind of mentality. You know, we're giving up a lot of uh, run run yardage on the ground, but we did well against the pass. But 
because we had a lot more DBs on the field. Well, uh, our coaches did a good job adjusting to that, seeing the changes that we could make throughout the year. And, uh, you know, just facing tough run teams like Wyoming, uh, San Diego State, just really helped our game to just improve throughout the weeks towards the end of the Towards the end of the year, like against UNLV, we, we did quite well on the run, and uh, San Jose. But uh, we're just we're fixing our defense as we go. You know, our coaches are learning at the same time that we are. You know, this defense is very unique, like you said. Um, it's a war dog defense, and Coach Graham never did run this defense, this exact defense before, and uh, they're really learning on the fly, just as we are. Yeah, you can you can kind of see it adapting as the season went on, but the the one constant was was you fifty three sort of right in the middle of every single tackle. I mean, is there a sense of disappointment when you're not there making the play on 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 a certain on a certain uh, you know a rush or something like that? I mean, he's, we, we we talked about the numbers, and I know you don't pay attention to them too much, but uh, is is there a little disappointment that comes when when you're not the guy right there bringing the ball carrier down? Uh, I'm I'm a little disappointing. You know, I I really want to make uh just get on the ball or get to the guy with the ball every play. But I know I can't make everything. I can't do everything for the team because I got playmakers all around me. You got, you know, Beast on the D-line. And you got Blessman Ta'ala, Joan Alaulu. And then you got uh, also our secondary. You got guys like Cortez Davis, Kai Kanashiro, Quinton Frazier. You know, so I trust my all of my, my whole defense. So I trust that I don't have to be always making the plays. I trust that my defense will – will be there to make that stop when needed. How, how fast did the, the season go by for you? Uh, okay, because it's, you know, it's basically two-thirds of a, of a normal season, of what, what less than two-thirds of what you guys played last regular season. Um, but also you're going through all the COVID protocols, you're getting tested and all this other kind of stuff that you don't normally deal with. So, did it seem to go by in a blink? Because for, for us on the outside looking in, it seemed like it just started. And next thing you know, we're, we're at the final week last week at UNLV. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I just felt like our season just started, and now it's coming to an end now with our last game, our last bowl game. You know, everything was different. It was a new routine for us. We had to do uh, COVID testing every other day. We had to get our temperature checks every day. It was just something different, and it didn't really notice that the time passed by until we just stepped back and just looked at, looked at it, you know, just, wow. All our games are gone already. That was eight, eight games down. And now we were lucky enough to get our ninth one. What were your expectations when you decided to attend the University of Hawaii? There were other guys who were you know, more widely recruited for sure. Uh, but here you are as a sophomore and, and putting up the numbers that you are and, and, and receiving some of the accolades. Heck, uh, on the broadcast, Rich Miano, I think, uh, compared you as a playmaker to one of the all-time greats, Pisa Tinoy Samoa. Um, to, to sort of be at, at, at this stage in your career as still a, an underclassman, um, how does that match with your expectations and, and have your expectations now for yourself and maybe even your long-term goals, have they changed as this has gone on? It really does mean a lot to be compared to guys like Pinatonoi Samoa, you know, just uh, Hawaii great linebackers. Just being able to be compared to him really meant a lot to me saying that. But... Um, my expectations, you know, uh, I, I, it just raises the bar for me whenever I'm compared to guys like that. So I hope that I can rise up to the standard. You know, I'll be working my tail off this, this offseason, hoping that uh, I'll come back harder next, 
next year. And uh, I'm just looking forward to, to just keep working hard and keep performing for the University of Hawaii. You talk about representing your family and sort of them being an, an inspiration. Um, your dad uh, was a position coach at Mililani and, and obviously coached you and, and your uh, siblings up uh, quite a bit. What are those conversations like after games? Um, you know, does he, does he give you the critique? What, what, what sort of does that entail? Yeah, my, my dad's a tough one. There's no praise from him. It's, more, it's mostly coaching coming from him. He's like, you got to break down there. You missed that tackle. He counts all my mistakes and, <laughs> you know, even to this day, he's still my coach. He, he was my first coach and he's still my coach to this day. And he, he gets on me and I feel like uh, he just gets me better. Just seeing that um, he's he's not, or he's the one watching film for me. That's what I feel like. He, he records all the games at home and I feel like he, he's, he's just watching it 24-7, just helping me out, seeing what I did wrong every play. And, uh, helping me to get better how do you get better you talked about getting back to work the off seasons are around the corner you got this bowl game hopefully you guys can finish things here in this strange 2020 season on a high note uh how do you though personally attempt to get better um uh this past off season and this off season i i just work out with my dad it's usually my dad and all my brothers we usually just go out to the park and you know, just the old school, set up some cones. Uh, just bring your, your own uh, helmet, bring your shoulder pads. And we just do a bunch of drills at the field. And we just work on speed. And uh, at, at home, we got a little little bench press and some, some weights around that we use. Uh, sometimes we just use rocks, whatever is needed to just get the lift in. And, you know, it's pretty much old school. My dad is old school, military. Whatever we gotta do to get the work in, we'll do it. Base level war dog training, right there for sure. <laughs> um, it's exciting to think about you getting better with the the sophomore campaign that you've put together. And congratulations again on uh, first team selection in the conference. Um, it's it's been awesome watching you play, and we wish you the best of luck uh, going forward. And good luck in the bowl game. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, thanks once again to Darius Muasau. A lot of fun talking with him, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun watching him for the rest of his University of Hawaii career and beyond. Uh, the guy's got game, and he just seems to be getting better and better by the day. It is time now for our post-game. Best and Worst, brought to you by WastePro Hawaii, Maui's premier full-service refuse company, offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial, construction, and residential use. Family-owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, WastePro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit WasteProHawaii.com for services information. We'll start with the worst, and, and I'll start because my worst is, is, is pretty... It's pretty bad. Uh, the World Surf League celebrated start to the 2021 championship tours in the islands that we were so excited about and, and talked at length about in our last episode. Uh, it got disrupted, really for horrifying reasons. The women's Maui Pro at Honolulu Bay was suspended after a recreational surfer was attacked by a shark. Now, we mentioned it last week on the show, uh, and the initial reports at the time were that the surfer was in serious but stable condition. Uh, sadly, though, in the days following, uh, it was reported that he did not survive. Uh, then you had the Pipe Masters event on the North Shore of Oahu, and that was halted after it was learned that multiple World Surf League staff members, including our guy, CEO Eric Logan, tested positive for COVID-19. And so what was supposed to be a, a great 
celebration and blast off to the uh, newly structured and newly scheduled format of the World Surf League tours, uh, it got abruptly halted uh, and, and some really, really sad news behind it. Yeah, just brutal. Just, just brutal, obviously, all the news coming out of that. And the, the extra unfortunate thing, it seemed like the first day of both events were, were awesome. You know, yeah. it was like, hey, look, they're back in competition, some good waves, both, uh, you know, in, in northwest Maui and then on the North Shore at Pipe. And, and so it looked like, man, they, they really made this work. And then, right, it, the, the shark incident at Honolulu is just absolutely tragic. And then, you know, over on, over on Oahu for, for the men's tour, it's, it's, just, it's just 2020, right, when, you, when it comes to trying to do everything you can to avoid the COVID bug. And, and they got um, – they got a few guys test positive, unfortunately. So yeah, everything. It was such a roller coaster. I mean, it, it looked terrific on on the first day of both of those events, and then came crashing down just for for all kinds of terrible reasons. Yeah. So uh, certainly, we wish for good health for Eric Logan, for all the other people involved with the WSL who tested positive, um, and we hope to see them start things back up. It's just very much up in the air at the moment. So that was my worst. It was pretty tragic. And that's why I wanted to get it out of the way. Uh, what's your worst, Jordan? Yeah, no, he's a way to transition. Uh, mine's much more flippant, although for some, <laughs> it's probably real serious. Uh, Scott Van Pelt, his sports center, they've sort of cornered the bad beat segment, right? It's one of the best segments on television, but last night's Monday night football game is just too, too juicy not to talk about the way that thing ended uh, with Cleveland and Baltimore, maybe game of the year in the NFL. That thing was tied 42, 42, uh, you know, Cleveland made the comeback. They take the lead and anybody who had Cleveland plus three, which was the line was feeling great. Then Baltimore comes right back down, you know, and, and the Lamar Jackson poop game, potentially it goes <laughs> down in lore. Uh, they tie it up and like, all right, look, there's a minute four, you know, we got to make the, the Browns come right back. They, they tie it up. Uh, and then it's like, okay, we're, we're maybe going to go to overtime and there's a chance that, that, you know, you can make some money there. Then the Justin Tucker field goal with seven seconds left. And you're like, all right, it's a push, right? It's three points. And then the old, the old Cal Stanford play results in a safety at the very end, a la that Northwestern Ohio State game that's always in the package for Scott Van Pelt. It was just absolutely crazy. And then I, as soon as it happened, I, I felt like the, you know, the Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's like smoking a cigarette and he's got a can of beer from, well, I forget what movie it is already, but he's like, you that's know, that's from the great Gatsby, right? The great Gatsby. Right. Yeah. And, and, and he's like spitting, spitting the beer out. And he's like pointing at the, at the, basically the camera. And so I felt like that. I was sitting on the couch and I was like, Oh my goodness. I was like, I, I, I thought it was three points. And then you go check the, you know, Twitter who immediately, you know, everybody on Twitter just immediately. And so it was, that's about as bad a beat as it gets on its biggest stage. And I just, I felt for a lot of people out there. I didn't have any money invested in it or anything like that. Six figures, they said. Six, yeah. six figures, the book swing yesterday after that. That's crazy. Yeah, the worst beat ever, maybe. I mean, that's about as bad as Oof. it has ever been. And uh, there were a lot of betters who were probably doing what Lamar Jackson ran back to the locker room to do uh, at the end of that game. Because let's be honest, if you're cramping up, you're not running all the way back to the locker room, right? I mean, I, I, that, somebody abdominal only... cramps. Uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Maybe you just needed to be a little bit more uh, specific about it. A little Paul Pierce action for uh, Lamar Jackson in the middle of that game. All right, let's switch over to our best. Uh, I'll go first. My best is another professional sports story, and that's Giannis Atentacupo signing a $228 million Supermax multi-year extension with the Milwaukee Bucks. 
Uh, you may think, eh, it's no big deal. He plays for them. They're a contender. But there was so much in the way of speculation about where Giannis might go. Uh, and in this day and age where superstars seem to switch teams at high frequency, um, and I'm never going to begrudge a, a professional athlete for making that decision. Um, you know, I, I think the narrative that, you know, a guy who decides to re-sign with a team as opposed to leaving is, is a better person. I think that's tired and that's a, a kind of a, a lazy type of, of cliche. Uh, but it is refreshing, is it not, to see a guy of Giannis's stature, two-time MVP, deciding to stay put in a place like Milwaukee. Uh, I think that it contradicts what so many on the outside, so many talking heads thought was going to happen and, and projected was going to happen. Uh, and it's just kind of cool that Giannis gave that city that vote of confidence, uh, especially in a year where there were a lot of really unfortunate things that occurred in and around Milwaukee. So um, kudos to Giannis Attentacupo, man. I think it's good for the league. I really do. And I'm, I'm with you. I'll never fault a guy for, for leaving any market for, for what they feel is greener pastures to go get paid. But I think it's a good. I think it's a really good thing if your your reigning MVP is willing to commit to a small market like Milwaukee instead of everybody just gravitating to to what the five big markets teams, quote unquote. Right? It, it, he's not going to Miami. He's not going to LA. He's not going to Golden State, Dallas, something like that. He be committed to Milwaukee. And these things change. You know, will he play out the the, the five year extension? I don't, we, we'll see. Um, but I, I think it is a breath of fresh air, and I think the league probably has to be really happy that they're going to have a star, a guy stay, stay home, if you will, uh, in a small market. Uh, and I know we keep, it was like the max at one point you could get as a player. Then there's the super max. $228 million over five years. Is there like a super, super max? Like this seems – super max seems a bit of an undersell. He decided to stay home. Speaking of home, take us home. What's your best for this episode, Jordan? Yeah, we're, it's, this is a nice bookend. We started with an endorsement of the Cleveland Spiders. I'm going to bring back the Cleveland Spiders, the, the former Major League Baseball team that, that was named as such in the late 1890s. I found this on the r slash baseball subreddit. Somebody went on baseball reference and, and put together all the great names that played for the Cleveland Spiders. I just want to read you some of the list here. These guys played from 1896, or at least from the range of 1896 to 1901. And so here are the guys, Icebox Chamberlain, Cupid Childs, Pretzels Geitzen, uh, Mike Goodfellow's on this list. No, I haven't been able to confirm if he's related to Chad. Uh, <laughs> Mortimer, Mortimer Hogan, Cowboy Jones, Sport McAllister, Chippy Magar, Cinders O'Brien, Ollie Pickering, Crazy Schmidt, Louis Sock Alexis, Peekaboo Veach, Jake Virtue, and Highball Wilson. And those, that's like only half of them. There's a whole bunch more. Those, those were the guys who played for the Cleveland Spiders. So why not bring back that team? And if anybody gets signed, they got to change their name to one of these. How about you just use one of those names as the new nickname, the Cleveland Cinders? I mean, I'm down with that. That sounds good to me. Yeah. Hey, the Cleveland Cinders uh, harkens back to uh, in a more innocent time uh, in, in, in oh, early yeah. baseball, right? The golden age of baseball. How dirty do you think Chippy McGar was? How oh, my God. sharp did he sharpen his spikes sliding into second? Yeah, what a nasty dude that guy was. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we could do that all day. We could have just done that for the whole episode is just read the list of former <laughs> Cleveland Spiders players. Uh, Jordan, been fun, man. Thanks again to Darius Musau for jumping on with us. That was our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii. Maui owned, Maui operated. 
for Molly's people. Hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helly, or at TalkSports808. We'll do it again next week, Jordan. Have a good one, man. We'll see you, man.